Hey friends, and welcome to Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as we love to call it, the show that helps you grow. Friends, this is a very special episode for me. Now, I'm going to give you a little peek behind the curtain of my podcasting life. I, I, I don't know if I should be embarrassed or proud to say that I'm subscribed to an obscene number of podcasts. And the vast majority of them are from uh, a group called The Ringer, which deals with sports and pop culture. Yeah, as you heard that voice, that's because we have a special guest with us today who works for The Ringer. He writes for the NBA, and he um, does, um, and he, he he has a very good story to, to share with us. So thank you so much for being here with us, Jonathan Sharks. How's it going today? It's good. Huh? Thanks for having me on. Uh, so I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I heard you on it again as you were, as you were t- talking about the playoffs and whatnot. But then he started to ask you about everything that was going on with your health situation, which I had heard about before. But you used the opportunity to take it and talk about, like, I don't know how people do this when they don't have faith, when they don't have their small group and all that. And I was like, okay, I, I don't know. I should definitely reach out and see if it if I could get him on the podcast and here you are. So thank you so much for taking the time for agreeing to do this. So for those of you who may not have um, heard what's going on in Jonathan's life, would you give uh, just a kind of a brief background about what's going on with your condition, John? Yeah. um, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer last year and uh, I've been going through various types of treatments over the last year. Uh, I'm currently on a break from work. So my day job, I cover the NBA. So I'm currently on a break from work while I'm going through some experimental treatments. I have a very rare kind of cancer and I'm just kind of hoping and praying for a miracle right now, I guess is the, the long of it, the short of it. Yeah, yeah. So from what I've heard and, and read, um, you have a, a rare Ewing-like sarcoma, if I if I got that correct. Yes. And, and boom. What was interesting for, for me, because you talked about the word a terminal and you were talking about how usually we associate that with, with there is like, it is, it is a death sentence, but really what it means is we don't know how to cure this right now. So at some point this will probably, uh, be a killer, but we just, but we don't know yet. Is that, is that, is that correct? As you were talking about terminal a little bit. Um, kind of, I I think the way they explained it to me is like this, what this condition, if it progresses, will kill you and we don't have a cure for this condition. Yeah. Therefore, as far as we know, this condition will ultimately kill you. That's like our medical diagnosis of it is essentially what kind of what they say. And then. Yeah, when you hear something like that's what that means essentially is like you've kind of been given something that there's no way to medically cure. So what's been really fascinating about how you've approached this, and I'm, I'm sure I don't know how it started. Again, it's been about a year, you said. I think it was last April is when you got the diagnosis. But you've used this opportunity to be able to talk about about your faith as a part of it. And so... I just wanted to just just kind of dive into that a little bit. First of all, I'm just curious. It's it, it's been a year. You have a wife. You have a son who turned two a little bit ago. What have you learned about yourself in this season? Oof, that's a good. It's a that's a tough question. I mean, what yeah. have I learned about myself? It's a tough one. Um, 
Ooh, I would say like maybe the biggest thing um, it's in terms of like relationship to God. It's uh, it's very different on this side of things talking about like, why does evil exist? I think what it ultimately is like, you know, we say me and my wife, we always joke. There's a song. Um, it's like Maverick city. I, uh, I really like them. Yeah. And they have a song that's called like refiner. And it was like, purify me, God, refine me uh-huh. and all these things. And it's like, man, when you're actually going through it, it's like, ah, I don't know about this. <laughs> like, wait a second. I, what did I sign up for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, I think that's been like the hardest thing for me is like accepting that God's will because, you know, obviously on some level, right? I have these things I want for my life, but I know ultimately God's in control of my life. Like, okay. But then it's like, okay, God's will for my life is to get terminal cancer. Yeah. And that's like such a, it kind of puts you on a spot. And I can't say like, that I've always responded well to that, but it's just like, well, what do you really believe ultimately? Like, what do you, what do you really believe about yourself, about God, about the world? And it's like, if you're given the worst possible news, how are you going to respond? And it's kind of, I would say it's like a daily choice. It's a daily choice how you respond to something like that. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting way to put it about the daily choice. Cause it's, it's a daily opportunity to choose what you know to be true and to say, I'm going to, I'm going to choose this truth today as opposed to, you know, I, I'm going to choose to, you know, f- just focus on my feelings of anger, resentment, or whatever it is. But when you go back to, I know God is, I know to be sure God is good. I know to be sure God is in control. And I need to reconcile that with this. It's that, that that's, it seems like a daily choice. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, like, you kind of see just how far our hearts go. Cause like for me, I'll know for a fact, like if I do not worship today, if I do not spend time with God today, I'm going to go to a dark place. And yet there's so many times where I still choose not to do that, where I'm still like, I'm going to be just feeling stubborn or just like, I don't want to deal with this. And so it's like, I'm actively choosing, I mean, rebellion in a sense, right? Ultimately, right? Like what is rebellion? It's like not walking with God daily, I think. Yeah. And it's like, man, there's so many times. It's like, for me, it's just so crazy. I'm like, man, I know for a fact, like if I daily don't walk with God, I'm going to be going down. I guess we all know that, right? But like the consequences of that in your normal life are very small. Right? Oh, I just missed it today. It's been very busy, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Or like for me, I know if I don't do this today, I'm going to be in a bad place. And yet there's so many times, more often than not where I don't. And it's like, that's kind of like, all right, what do I really believe? What am I going to choose to believe? And it's like, under my own power, am I really going to choose what's right? And there's so many times where you don't. And it's like, it's a very, it's like sobering in a way, I guess. Yeah, you mentioned worship and prayer. I, I'm wondering, are there other, or or I should say, what kind of spiritual practices have you started engaging with as a part of this, but what does it look like for you to worship, spend time with God every day? Are there other things that you've adopted too? Um, one thing that's been help, a helpful thing I've been doing is like writing out the Psalms. Oh, great. Cause like, I was like doing it. I'll do your Psalm every day. I'll be good. Yeah. And then 
you find yourself, you read it in like a minute and a half and it's just like, done. Yeah. It's, I didn't look anything out of that. And it's like when you actually are forced to write it down. And I was fun the other day, I was in a song that was a really long one. And I'm like, gosh, that took 30 minutes to write. And I'm like, that's just taking way too long. And it's, of course, like, I can watch 30 minutes of a TV show. Who cares? But, like, 30 yeah. minutes to do that is just, like, pulling teeth, basically. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would say the biggest thing spiritually is, like, I think for me, maybe the you can't do it on your own. Mm. Like, if I didn't have people in my life who are helping me along in this process, I think I would have already fallen off. It's like... God, you know, it's like God's love is made manifest in each other. And it's like, that's been for me the biggest thing. It's like, okay, there are other people supporting me, praying for me when I don't want to pray and I don't want to do it. We have like a Bible study in our small group. It's yeah. like, okay, this is going to bring me back. This is going to force me to be part of something bigger than myself. And it's like, it's a tangible thing. Like, okay, maybe I'm not feeling God's presence today or God's love, but I can see it. I can feel it in my friends and my brothers in Christ. So I listened to you on the Good Faith podcast, uh, and you were giving what I think is perhaps the best pitch I've ever heard for small groups in life group. And so uh, could you talk just a little bit about like why your small group has been so impactful in this time? Um, I would say like for me to like bring it back. So I didn't grow up in church and I was like introduced to small groups later in life. And I just remember once I got into one, and it was just like so mind blowing to me because it was like, wow, I can always have these people in my life. That's just awesome. So I'm a, I have this job, I work from home, I cover the NBA, I don't have like an office or a nine to five. And so it's, it can be very lonely sometimes. And then as you get older, like you kind of lose touch with your high school and college friends to an extent. I'm not working with a lot of people, very easy to isolate. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, like this thing I just joined, like no matter where I go in the world, no matter where I am, I can always plug into this. This is, this is amazing just because of that. Like that's the thing you don't really get in the world and society is like that ability to plug in and to find anywhere you, like, right, anywhere you are in the world, I'm confident there's a Christian small group like somewhere near, yeah. like that's just the way it is, right? So I mean, that's part of it. And I guess kind of thing I was probably talking about on the podcast, this idea of like, being part of a community and having people in your life and having people for your wife and your kids. And it's like, it's just having people in your life. I, just, I remember the other day we were at a small group and like my son's playing with all the, the kids of the other parents. Yeah. And I'm like, this is so good for him. Like no matter what, at least there'll be these people in his life, no matter what happens to me. Mm. Yeah. There's something to be said too, about having this group, this core group of people who have this shared foundational belief and so that they know as they are walking with you through sickness that they have the same belief that they can be encouraging, that they can be pointing back to, that, that they can be sharing in prayer, that they can be burden sharing, all these things. The Bible talks about these one another's that we are called to do. And having a small group... Um, which is different than like a work group. It's different than a friend group that's not church based. It's really coming. It's a it's people who share just this core tenant as brothers and sisters in the church, who can do this together, do life together. Yeah, I mean for sure, it's like that's just how God set it up this way. And I think too, it's like so easy when things are going okay 
you don't see the need for it as much. And it becomes like, well, I've got a lot going on on my plate. I've got a lot to deal with. I've got a lot. Like we have kids. We have, I have like my wife. We have our own careers. And then when life is going well, and it's easy to think I don't need this as much. Like I'm just, I'm the one like investing, not getting anything out of it. And it's easy to get into that mentality. And I think there's a question you're going to ask me later, but I'll go ahead and spoil yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. Now. That's right. Uh, you were talking about like, okay, what's been the response to being so open about this um, situation? Yeah. And the thing that was like so shocking to me was just like the amount of like feedback you get from other people who have suffered or are suffering yeah. in their lives. And you don't like, it's just one of those things I you just don't really see it because we live in this, you know, fairly comfortable society for the most part. Right. Like yeah. you just don't see the amount of suffering there is in the world, the amount of trauma people go through. And I remember like, in a very small way, I, I remember like seeing this and like, it made me see the gospels in a different way because in the gospels so often Jesus, he's just like going from place to place. And then people are just like, I gotta go see you, man. Like I'm hurt Yeah. Like, everywhere he goes. It's like, I'm hurt. I need you. My family's sick. My daughter's dying. My friend, right. Yeah. And then it's like, you don't see that as not Jesus, obviously, but then you get a little, little taste of that, the amount of pain and suffering in the world. And then it brings you back. It's like, we're all going to have these trials at some point in our lives. And you don't always realize it. You don't know when it's going to happen, but we have been told like in this world, there will be trouble, right? Like, and then it's like, that is what life group is like. You have these people to help you with their burdens. Yeah. Cause it's like, you don't, you don't want to get into a situation like my situation or there's a million different things that can happen to you and you don't already have those people in your life to help out. Yeah. You need to have that set up before, yeah. before the trouble starts. And then too, it's like you're able to give to other people who are struggling in these certain situations. That's like the most life-giving thing at all, I think, is to really serve others who need it. Yeah, I think it's, for some reason, we have a culture where it feels like I need to keep my suffering to myself because I don't want to inconvenience others. Like, I don't want to put this burden on that or, or make them feel different or think differently about me or whatever it is. But what we see from Scripture is people's suffering is an opportunity for others to step in. It's an opportunity yeah. for others to be interrupted, right? That's what's so beautiful about what we see, everything that you were just talking about, about Jesus. He was interruptible. He would why he would he would stop he would heal people he would see the blind man and he would go and heal him he would do these different things he would take the time to truly look and it says a few times it says and he saw them with compassion and yeah. that's what we're called to do and it's not to think differently it's not to pity it's just to say you are my brother and you are hurting and it's and I have a I have a duty to step in as your brother as your friend and to care for you in whatever way you need, whether it's just by prayer, whether it's by encouragement, whether it's by bringing dinner, whether it's by taking the kid out to play, whatever it is, there's opportunities in a small group. It seems to like that's the most like in the arena opportunity for that. Cause you have this, this group of whatever it is for their couples, whatever it is, that you are meant to be like involved and engaged with people's lives. Don't stop at your small group. If you know other people or see other people, it's an opportunity there 
but I just love that calling that we have. Yeah. And I think it's a couple things. It's like one, I think in like how our society works a lot of times, it's like, we're always like being told to care about like the world or what's happening, you know, in Ukraine yeah. and all the stuff that's happening a hundred thousand miles away that we have absolutely no control over. And we're supposed to be like constantly worrying and like fretting and like, well, what do we do about X situation? And it's like, there's just not much you can really do about it but what we're called to do is like love those around us and our immediate sphere of influence and i think that's what's so cool too about like the gospel also is it's very it's like when you read it it's very different than how like an american perspective i like so after like jesus has died like the american perspective and this was really hard for me growing up not in the church was this idea of like, well, if there's an evil, unjust king ruling this country, well, then as Americans, we have to fight for freedom, overthrow the evil king and start democracy. Yeah. Right. That's like the American way of like thought process. But in the church, you're like, don't even worry about Rome. Like this is guy, this Roman <laughs> emperor, Jesus, he literally thinks he's God. He controls the entire world. And there's nothing stopping him from doing whatever he wants at any time. Like it's truly evil stuff, but they're like, don't worry about it. Just honor, be a law abiding citizen, love your neighbors. And like, we're going to change the world through small groups of people. Yeah. Not gonna necessarily, we don't necessarily need to do anything crazy. It's like, Jesus is going to, I'm going to have 12 disciples. And it's, that's what's so cool too. Is like the power of small numbers. So it's like, if I have 12 disciples and they have 12 disciples, yeah. And those disciples have 12 disciples. It's of their the law own. of exponential growth right there. That's all <laughs> it is. Like, and it's like, that's used you love others. And there's so much that can change. That changes the world for me. I think ultimately more than so much of like the stuff we get so wrapped up in. Yeah. Not that, that stuff isn't important in its own way, but it's like how you really change the world. What you really call to do is love those around you. Yeah. yeah and and it's, it's been interesting for sure for me, for my position. So I, I always thought of like, when he talks about what you did for the least of us, you yeah. did for me. And then you and you kind of grow, you're thinking about it. It's like, man, well, I really should be nice to people, the least of us. You don't really put yourself in those shoes very often. At least I did it. Like I never saw myself as the least of us. And you go through something like this and you're depending on the kindness of people around you. And it's like, it really is humbling. It's like, it is like your, I guess your pride or something, but it's like, it's hard to accept help sometimes. It's like, man, I am the least of us right now. I can't do this on my own. I have to accept that people have to help me and my family. Yeah. You mentioned the piece that you uh, wrote that came out a few months ago. It was called, Does My Son Know You? And that's what you, you were referring to when we were talking about the response we have to being so open about this. And in that piece was obviously so, so, so powerful. Again, I follow a bunch of people from the ringer on Twitter and I've never seen as, as many people retweet the same essay, the same article at once as that piece, because it really struck a chord with people. So I'm just, I'm, I'm curious too, as you use the opportunity, you've talked about this before to talk about um, being a Christian in a, a sports environment, in that type of environment where it's, there's, there's, uh, it's not known for having a whole lot of people of faith in it. <laughs> um, how has, how has that response been with, 
with your coworkers, with the people who reached out to you after that piece, with everybody who was saying, like, there's obviously something going on that is powerful in John's life right now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I think ultimately I'm just like, love to be like, hey, I read your piece. I think I'm going to join a church. That hasn't happened yet. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I'm believing, like, I'm believing, like, we're planting seeds here. Totally. And I think, you know, I think this term of it is, like, it's helpful to approach it differently from, like, a different perspective, I think. Kind of hit them sideways a little bit and not... Yeah. I think people are so... You come at them straight on. There's so many walls. That's cool. And it's like, you, you just hope, like, I just hope you're, you hope you're planting seeds and that's all you can really do. And it's like, it can be frustrating at times. Like I, I, I was like laughing with my friends, like some of my friend, my wife, some of my yeah. friends who I've known forever. And I'm like, I've told you the gospel and I can't even <laughs> feel bad at this point. You know the whole story and then what you choose to do with it is your own business, I guess. So yeah. it's, it's hard. I mean, like, I think that's what we're called to do too, is to do it. And Honestly, I've not seen a, like, a ton of fruit from it, but I'm believing. I'm believing that I will. It's not that it's not there. I'm. I'm sure of that. I don't think you know. I'm a firm believer that God doesn't let let that type of of, of vulnerability go to waste. Right. That it's that He is at work behind the scenes with people who step out in faith and say, "I'm gonna." Like, I, I don't want to have to talk about this stuff, but I'm going to honor God in doing that, in entering into a space that maybe a whole lot, a lot of other people aren't comfortable in doing. And I have, I have no doubt that God is honoring that in different in ways that we cannot see. And that's kind of the hard part, right? Is the, okay, God, yeah. I'm going to trust it to you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the hard and the easy part too, right? It's like, yeah. I just, all you can do is like, throw the seeds. Like I just, I can't control the outcome or control people are going to respond. You just have to trust. Yeah. Trust that God. And it's, it's, it's funny too. Like, I mean, cause I, I've like, uh, I've always been pretty open about it. Like I always did like, I, I wrote about like the Bible on my own personal site, even yeah. when I was at the ringer and you know, like I can't say I expected all this to happen. And I, like it's been a much bigger, God has used my situation to reach much more people than maybe I would, than, no, certainly than I did to my own personal, just writing about the Bible and that stuff. And it's like, man, um, nothing would go that way. Like, I know <laughs> I trust the God to do that. It's like, God moves in ways. It's like, wow, that was cool that I used that, but man, that was tough. <laughs> uh, so is there, is there a, 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 a book of the Bible or like a verse or a passage that's just been resonating with you a lot in this season? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think kind of what we've been talking about, just like going back in the gospels. I mean, I know for me, like when I first got diagnosed, it was, uh, I think it was like going back to Gethsemane for sure. Yeah. And I just never really seen it that way before when Jesus knows he's going to die. And he's like, I don't want to die. And that was, mm. I was like, man, I understand that. Like I'm about, I'm 34. So I'm a year older than he would have been. Yeah. And you're like, man, I wonder, cause you know, like, it's like, you wonder like what, what did he want to do with his life? Right. Like yeah. the part of him that was man, I'm sure just wanted to hang out with his friends yeah. and live in Israel and, you know, be a carpenter. Yeah. I don't know. Go see the, the chariot races. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it makes it, it hits home a little bit more like, oh, he really did give up a lot. And you kind of, mm. easy to forget that sometimes. 
aspect. Like, he was a person. He had a life. He had friends. He had family. Yeah. On your personal blog, you've been going through Isaiah. What have you learned in your time walking through the whole book of Isaiah? Oh, okay. Um, it's been a while. Actually, that was mostly what I was doing before I got sick. Sure. I haven't gotten a chance to do too much okay. of it now. But I mean, I think for me, what I loved about the book of Isaiah, I've always been a big history person. Like, I was yeah. always a fan of history and reading history. And it's like, you're almost like reading history with a new lens on it. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, okay, biblical history. I, I think it's like super fascinating. And I, I wish we did that more in the church to get into that. Like, look at the miracles in the past. Like, look at what's happened. Yep. Here a little, in terms of like, look at the lessons. Okay, here's one that was crazy. I didn't realize this, but one of the things the Israelites were told by God was to not have a standing army, not have chariots. Mm. So chariots were like the tanks yeah. of the time period. And then God told them, you don't need, you don't need chariots. Yeah, you like, don't need that be, stuff. <laughs> if you really believe in me, you'll just mm. trust in me to protect you in this like. Haven't you seen everything I did before? Like go back to the Red Sea, go back to Joshua. Look at all the things I can do. I can make the sun stand still. You don't need chariots. <laughs> Sure. And, and it's like, and that's why I feel like it's so important because like for them, it's like, well, that was 500 years ago. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything about it. It'd be like us being like, oh, 15, the year 1500. Yeah. That was a long time ago. I don't know anything about that. And it's like how, and then it's like, yeah, I believe in God, but like, do you really believe in God where you're not going to get chariots? And in the book of Isaiah, he's like, oh, there's a big part where he's talking about like, don't go to Egypt and build a military alliance with them. It's not really going to protect you. Mm. But it's like, man, those, and they're talking about like, these are actual horses. Yeah. These are, I can see these things. And he's like, no, you have to trust in God and not in what's in front of you. And it's like, talking about like a daily challenge. Yeah, there you go, right there. Yeah, we have an episode coming out, I think, in a, a couple weeks from now, which is going to be about why study church history. And this is, it plays a part of this. It's like, there's so much of what God did, of God's story that continued even after what we see in the Bible that accounts for church history that we can go back and look at. And uh, it's, it's, it's not something a lot of people spend yeah, a lot of time with. I remember talking to my, my friends of mine grew up in the church. And I, I was like, you all heard of like, the Jerusalem Sennacherib and how like the Assyrian army was had played at the gates of Jerusalem. And it's like, they'd never heard of it. This <laughs> is like, amazing. What? Literally in the history books, they yeah. talk about, say, the Assyrian army comes to Jerusalem, has surrounded the city, has conquered the rest of Israel, and they're like, you have to submit. And then at that moment, they actually go back to God and they say, God, please save us. And then, uh, then like this actually happened. Like, yeah. You're not even talking about religion. A plague comes, destroys the army, and they're forced to withdraw. Yeah. And historians even say, who knows how this could have happened, but this plague <laughs> saved the country. Yeah. It's like that actually happened. Yeah, and now we know. <laughs> It's yeah. like now, and we know through our lens, through like believing, like, okay, God saved them. Like this is a tangible example of God saving his people yeah. in a way even historians can't deny. And so that's an amazing story. It's incredible. What a miracle that actually happened. She talked about. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious, John, how, how have you seen your prayer life change since this diagnosis? Um, it's been hard. It's been really hard. Like it's been, it's hard because it's like, so much of it is like, well, do I really want to submit yeah. to God's will? And it's like, what is God's will for my life? Ultimately, I don't know in terms of like what's going to happen to me. But it's like, I know for sure I have to be okay with uh, maybe God's will for my life is that this will ultimately, um, 
I will not survive this. Sure. Maybe, I don't know. You know, none of us really know. Yeah. And it's like, man, like that's just really, really tough. Like it's not, it's very difficult thing to kind of work through. And I'm, I'm still working through yeah. it. It's like, it's just so hard because it's just so emotionally draining sometimes to go there. You know, yeah. I just don't want to deal with all this, but <laughs> it's important. Yeah. I know. It's in, it's that remind. It's that daily choice. What we were talking about earlier, of that reminder that God, He wants to walk through it with us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what you're going through, obviously. And He's saying, "Tell me your genuine feelings about it every day." I, I'm here. I'm here to hear it. And it can be anger. It could be frustration. It could be sadness. It could be grief. It could be surrender. Whatever it is, He's like, "I'm here for it." <laughs> yeah, and I think too. It's like. Um you go through this and you kind of realize just how selfish you can be. Oh, and sure. it's like, man, I just want this. <laughs> and then you're like, and it's so easy for that, like that attitude. It's like the world owes you something, you know, like, well, I'm going through this, so whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you're kind of constantly forced to like check yourself in a lot of, it's really easy to fall into those kind of habits. Like, no, just because I'm going through this doesn't make it okay for me to like, be rude to my wife or, you know, that's that kind of thing, which is very easy to do too. Now your wife, Melissa has been writing entries on your caring bridge page and she's done a wonderful job of sharing, you know, how things are, are going, but also kind of, you know, how people can be praying. And so I'm just, I, I'm, I'm curious, how has, how has your relationship with your wife changed or, or grown since April? Oh, I mean, I think a, a lot. It's just like, it really, you know, you're, grow a lot together going through this kind of situation i think i mean she's been incredible uh i wouldn't i wouldn't be here today without her i don't there's no way this it's uh, yeah it's like there's so much she's had to step in for uh because of what i've been going through and she's had to take on so much responsibility with my son and take on so much responsibility around the house and it's hard i mean it's really hard just yeah, it's like, I, I remember someone, I had a friend, of, we were out there the other night, and it's, uh, he's not a believer, we're just kind of talking, uh-huh. he was asking about marriage, and like, it's like, well, what's the point of being married, really? And I was just like, man, let me tell you, <laughs> for sickness, in sickness and in health, like, it's a real a thing. Real thing. <laughs> you know, I, I always joke with my wife, like, you didn't uh, quite know what you were signing yeah. up for when you said that, sickness and in health. <laughs> But I don't doubt that she would have made the same choice, even if she did know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I'll give her a shout out since we're on a big podcast. So yeah. she works for a company. It's called um, Denison Ministries. Oh, cool. Uh, and they do, uh, it's called, a, there's a, there are a couple big things they do. I think your audience might like it. Um, sure. It's called, one is a day, it's like a daily word. It's a, a, a longtime pastor's name was Jim Denison. Okay. And he kind of looks at the news from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are the important things that are going on? How do we best love God and share God with our neighbors mm. in this very turbulent time politically? Yeah. And they also have a thing that's called First 15, where it's like, here, it's a guided daily devotional. I've so seen 15 those. Minutes every yeah, day. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my wife's company. So oh, she that's does so cool. That. So that. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Well, yeah, definitely shout out for that. She mentioned on the Caring Bridge that you went skiing for the first time last month. How was that? 
Oh, that was amazing. I'd never been skiing before. I've, so I've never was, skied. Uh, I've been snowboarding, but I've never skied. I've always really? thought I would you, just fall. You snowboard and says, everyone says to ski first and not to snowboard. So you went and snowboarded. Yeah, I, I, was the, I was the weird one where I was a rollerblader, so I didn't skateboard, but I was didn't want to ski. I wanted to snowboard. I don't know. I was a weird opposite kind of guy, I guess. <laughs> I'll just say this. I was skiing on the green slopes yeah. and on the bunny slopes, uh-huh. and the bunny slopes, there's just snowboarders everywhere, just sprawled out on the ground. Like for every one skier that's fallen, there's like five snowboarders, snowboarders on the ground. So I was glad to stick with skiing. Like I really, skiing is awesome. Once you get the hang of it, it's a really, really fun experience. Um, I was also the best way to describe it is like when you know when you're a kid and you learn how to bike and you're just biking down, you want to bike down a hill all yeah. the time. Yeah, skiing is like that feeling, and then you take an elevator back up. Mm. And you do it. You don't have to bike uphill. Just bike from downhill constantly. It just feels amazing. <laughs> well, I like the sound of I. I haven't I haven't snowboarded in forever. My back is so bad. I think it would just. I think I would be in so much pain. But I do want to take my wife. It's some... a whole different level. <laughs> I, 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 stick to skiing. That's my advice. stick to skiing. Well, I should probably give it a try at least at some point. I, my wife has never been, and I, I do want to take her at some point. I think she would do skiing more than snowboarding. So I'll give that a try at some point. <laughs> Uh, I wanted, so you've talked about just this idea of mortality kind of staring you in the face a little bit. And I'm just curious because you, you, you became a believer later in life in your twenties. So if you can think back to the person you were beforehand, how, how do you think it's, it's different to face the idea of mortality as a Christian back as opposed to how you may have, like, it, it, if the diagnosis had come when you were 22 as opposed to 33? Well, it's a tough, it's a good question. Um, I, think the more, I think the mortality part, it would have still been really, really, it's still really tough. Like, I will say, like, for as much as like you believe, you believe as a Christian, I know where I'm going and that is very comforting on some level, but on the day-to-day level, it's more like the process of it is so hard. I think, I think it's like being a Christian has really helped me just get through this process, but then like facing mortality is still kind of crazy. I will say this. I remember when I, when I first got really sick mm-hmm. and then I was, I was so sick. We were being in the hospital a couple times. Mm-hmm. At one point I remember thinking this must be what dying feels like. Like this mm-hmm. feels awful. Oof. And then it's like Christian or not, like you're just, this is kind of the right. It's the curse we've all, we all live under, you yeah. know, it's like we all live under this curse that we are all going to die. And it's, whether or not you believe it, I think that I think that's something probably in a way it's like we all it kind of talking about my coworkers, it's like we all have this to deal with. We all have we're all gonna have to deal with this struggle. It's a struggle we share with people who believe or don't. Yeah. And so I I would say, yeah, in a lot of ways, I mean, I think in the it's one of those things like in the back of your mind, it's like, okay, it's comforting to know where you're going. Yeah. But in the front of your mind, on your day-to-day level, I don't spend a ton of time thinking about it because you're spending yeah. so much time trying to get through the day, trying to survive. Sure. And I think that's something, that's probably where I think 
my faith has been most helpful for me. Mm. But when you talk about facing the ends, I think that is, that's, that's scary no matter how you slice it. I imagine that you think about time differently in the use of time differently, even now than you would have before you had a family, for example, right? Because if you're thinking about time, I have 168 hours this week. I want to use as much of that time with my wife and my kids, with my family, with my small, that kind of stuff. As opposed to in your 20s, you're like, I want to use my time to do all the things, you know, you know, go travel and do all the things, you know, by my or with whatever. And and the sense that I've gotten is that it's is you realize just that family in your time with your son, your time with your wife, that's that's taken the highest priority for you right now. For sure. I guess that's like in a way the that's been by far the hardest part is the family part is the idea of like leaving people behind yeah. i think that's what like i think you do kind of at some point like you can kind of accept that you're gonna die but it's like i don't know that i'll ever accept that okay my son might have to grow up without me i think that's been for sure yeah. that's the part that like still just kills me to this day is like i can accept what's but it's like to leave people behind is yeah. like really heartbreaking and that was, um, yeah, yeah. And that was what was, you know, I think so especially powerful about your "Does My Son Know You" piece was that idea, because you you talked about your experience with your father growing up with Parkinson's, and and you talked about like how I want my son to have people in his life that whether I'm here or not, there are people who know him. There are people that he knows. And that he can grow up trusting and believing in and seeing as mentors, as examples, especially in the Christian community. And it seems like what you've been doing is doing a really good intentional job of trying to ensure as best as you can <laughs> that, that, that he and your wife are set up so that if something did happen, that they have people who are, that, that are good, solid people brothers and sisters in Christ who can love on them and care for them um, in that case. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like for us right now, it's kind of what you're saying, like in this season of like how can I best my family given my situation? That is kind of, that's kind of what I get to in that piece he's talking about. I call it like relational insurance. Yeah. And it's like, okay, how can I best set them up for long-term success? And for me, like, that's like lesson I learned growing up without my father. And is it, it's very easy in the world for like the world. I think about you, our society drives people apart. It's very easy to lose track of people. And it's like people fall through the cracks all the time. And it's like, I don't want my family to fall through the cracks. Like the best way I've, the best way I've seen, the only really way I've seen is like to best make that happen is to invest more in church. No, it's funny. A couple of people have said that. I was like, that's so cool. Like you're still really invested in community through this. And I'll, I'll think like, what the heck else am I going to do, man? <laughs> you're like, wait a second, as opposed to what? <laughs> and, and I guess to go back to your last question, and that's this is something I'm learning in this process is like, Cause in your head, like, I think everyone at some point thinks about that. Like, what if someone told me I had six months to live, right? Everyone, yeah. that's like a common enough thought sure. process, right? 
And the what the one thing you don't really realize when you're thinking about something like that, because in your head you're like, okay, if I have six months to live, I want to do A, B, and C things. But it's like if someone tells you that, that's because you're already really sick. Yeah. Like you're probably not going to have the capacity to do A, B, and C things. And yeah, and, and kind of what you were saying, like that's that's like a hard part about it too. Is like accept. I think maybe this might be kind of to go back around to your original question. Sure. It's like accepting limitations on yourself. Mm. That has been by far the hardest part of this process because mm. you have so many things like you want to do. You have so many goals you have. Yeah. And then you, in your head, you're like, well, I can do this because I used to be able to do A, B, and C things. <laughs> and it's like, well, now I can't. Like, I just can't do as much as I used to. I'll probably have to do less than I did before. And I think that's too is kind of like the beauty of the gospel and our relationship with God is like, you get it in your head, you have to do so much. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to accomplish this and it's like no all god really asks is to obey and pray and love him and everything else will flow from that and you just trust god with all this other stuff because you get in your head it's like i have all these things i want to accomplish yeah and then at a certain point physically you're no longer able to do those things and it's like well so much it's like so much of our identity even as christians comes in from like what we accomplish what we want to do right yeah and it's like ultimately we can't accomplish anything without God and anything we do without God is not worth accomplishing anyways. And like that, and it's like, okay, like accepting that, that has been like one of the hardest parts to accept. Like, okay. Kind of like I was saying, like, I'm the least of us right now. I can't do what I want to do. Sure. And like, it's okay. I don't have to like, no, there's nothing I'm being like asked to do that. I, whatever God wants me to do, I'll do, I'll be able to do. And if it's not what God wants me to do, it's not going to happen. And that's just have to be, I have to learn to accept that. Yeah. I think it's an opportunity to see strength in a different way, right? Like you're like, you may not be able to do all of the same things physically that you had done before or would want to do necessarily, but, but you're seeing strength come in, in a new way of being, of being able to tell your story of being able to talk openly about the gospel of being able to use this time to share what God has been doing in you and through all this different stuff. It's just, it's a, it's a different kind of strength. I think that's coming out. Yeah. And I think ultimately it's like the way God will use this is more than my own plans. Yeah. But there's still a part of you that's like, well, I want to like write this book and I want to do these Bible commentaries. I have all these things I want to do if I only have so much time left. But it's like, maybe I won't be able to do any of those things. And that's okay too, because ultimately it's like not me who's making these decisions, not me who's in charge. I don't control this. It's like, it's just God. I'm just, I'm just lucky that God has allowed me to be part of the process. Yeah. So do you, so as you noticed from your um, response to your piece and from speaking out about this stuff, there are people who are sick, who are hurting or whatnot, who may not have told anybody that they're sick. They may not have reached out. Now, do you have anything that you could share with any of our listeners who might be sick or going through treatments right now or whatnot? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Oh man. I mean, I think just in terms of, I would say like the things I would want to hear being where I am from other people. 
That's a good question. Let me think about that. Yeah, first. please. I think, yeah, number one, like, it's okay. It's, it's okay to just, you don't have to do anything. Like, you're just surviving is more than enough. Like, it's okay. Whatever goals you have, like, it's, if you don't do it, it's okay. Like, you're going through a lot. I would say that's the big one. Mm. And then number two is like, and this is something I'm still like doing for myself. It's like daily choice. Okay. Here's a, here's a good example of this. So the other day I had not finished my uh, quiet time and I'm driving to meet up with a friend for lunch and I'm listening to a podcast about the war in Ukraine. Okay. And it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting. And, I'm, and then I'm listening to it and then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, man, this is really interesting. I'm glad I know this, but ultimately is this not, this is what a distraction is. This is literally keeping me from spending time with God. I could be in this car right now, praying and worshiping, mm. but I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, okay, in this moment. And the funny thing is I still listen to the podcast. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but after when I got to lunch, I was like, man, that is a perfect example of this is a good thing. There's, you know, it's good to be informed about the world. Sure. I'm glad I heard it. But ultimately, even this good thing, if it's keeping me from God, it's a distraction. Mm. And like nothing is more important than my time with God. And I guess that's something I've learned too. And so I'm, I'm on a leave from work right now. I'm, yeah. not, I'm just doing treatments. I'm not working or anything. So it's like, I really have no excuse. Like I have plenty of time to spend time with God and there's always something that can distract you. And I think that's something you don't always you take for granted when you're working and you've got a family, you have a million things going on and you tell yourself, well, I was just really busy today. I'll get to it tomorrow. That was just a, that was a crazy day. Mm. But it's like, there's always something, even when you have nothing to do, there's always something in this world that can distract you from God. And like, there's nothing more important than spending that time with God and anything preventing you from doing that is ultimately a bad thing. Yeah. That's great wisdom. Now, even though you're on a leave from work, I am, have no doubt that you were still watching and following the NBA in the playoffs right now. For sure. I'm correct and understand that, right? I wanted to I wanted to end our end our conversation taking advantage of your knowledge and and analysis of the NBA. Now, I was thinking about this because there's a lot of playoff questions I wanted to ask, but that doesn't make any sense because this episode's gonna go out probably when we're in the conference finals, and we don't know who's in the conference finals at this point during our conversation. Uh, so I wanted to do a little future. NBA talk and look ahead to the 2023 season as best as, as we can try to guess. Okay. Sure. <laughs> so what, what franchise should be feeling more optimistic than they might be feeling right now? That's an interesting question. Cause yeah, it's so much of it is based on, we have no idea what the off season is going to be like. No idea. Is there a franchise that you think, I think they're better suited in, in, in a better place than they may think they are, or, or, or I should say, than the fans may think that, that they're in right now? I'll give you an answer you're not going to like as a Clippers fan. <laughs> I will say the Lakers. Oh, come on. As bad as this looks, and it looks terrible. I was going to say, how, how are you going to solve this Westbrook issue? I'm curious. 
They might be totally screwed. That's certainly <laughs> probably the most likely outcome. The only thing I would say in the Lakers defense is Anthony Davis is as talented as Giannis. Yeah. I don't know if he can get back to that point, but I think the way Anthony Davis played in the bubble two years ago, that was about the level Giannis is at now. Like he's, I would say the one player in the league on the same level of talent as Giannis. Mm. He's still relatively young. Yeah. If he could ever get back to that and stay healthy. It's just a little more injury change. prone. Yeah. It's <laughs> always hurt and he might never be healthy again. And if that's the case, the whole thing is toast. Like they're done for a long time. But when you have a player who has the talent to be the best player in the world on your team and he's still in your prime, he's still in his prime, yeah. things are not hopeless. Yeah. So I would say that. I would say that. You know, I'll accept that because the league is more fun when the Lakers are good. I will give it that. And that's as much credit as I, as I want to give the Lakers right now. <laughs> um, let's see. I, what is your... Pre- now, if, now, again, this is a total prediction guess. Biggest, least expected off-season move. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, least expected. Uh, it's hard to know even what's expected and what's not. That's a great um, point. Oh, man, you really put me on the spot. <laughs> let, me, let me think about this for a second. Uh, I think, you know, I, I do think, like, star movement is, like, it does feel like that's not going away. But maybe yeah. it Oof, man. I'm not good at these questions. That's a tough one. I, <laughs> well, okay. How, a how, okay. Well, how about this S- star player that that is almost assured to be on a different team next year? I mean, I think right now the big question is Utah. Yeah, um, that's what I was in my head thinking the whole time. But yeah, I, I don't know if you'd even define Rudy Gobert as a star, but, or will they have to ultimately move Donovan Mitchell as well? Sure, uh, that's a big one. I mean, the whole Zion thing is kind of up in the air. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I guess, like, Bradley Beal will probably get re-signed and he'll probably get traded soon after that. Um, I don't know. I got, <laughs> I got nothing. That's all right. It's that. okay to punt on it. That's all right. I, I expect it to probably be a, a season of a lot of different changes, mm. especially for everything we just saw in the NFL, so much movement. It's almost like it's just this wave of, of a player movement right now happening. Um, okay, next question for you. Is Luca going to come into the next season in shape? Oh, there you go. So I, I, I'm from Dallas. So yes. I know all these games. Uh, yeah, I think, so we're recording this right before game three. Yeah. Uh, game two, he was pretty well embarrassed by the Suns. His, his first I'm half hopeful. was phenomenal. Second half was a little not so much, but yeah. <laughs> This will be, I think, if, if they lose the series, which hopefully I look stupid and they come back. Home, it's looking <laughs> like that won't happen. I think this will be the biggest disappointment of his young career. And I think that will spur him to really uh, get in shape and to really dedicate himself a little bit. Because you know, he's been able to get by on natural talent his whole career. And I think this will be yeah. the first time that he's really kind of pushed to the limit. Mm. And there, that's so much of it. It's interesting. So I, uh, Dirk Nowitzki got his jersey retired yeah. this year. And at his jersey retirement, he talked a lot about how his struggles early in his career shaped him to become the player he was mm. and how he had to learn from his struggles and disappointments 
And then I just remember thinking, well, this is the opposite of Luca because he's not really struggled much in his, in his career. Yeah. So I think I think it's good. I think the struggle is good for him. I'm, I'm hopeful it will encourage him and spur him on to reach the heights. It seems like he just needs to have the sweet tea in moderation, and then he'll come back feeling great next year. Well, I'm sure you saw the, the there's that famous picture of him like smoking a hookah. Yeah. And like, they're like that. Yeah. They're like Luca's off-season workout, the other guy's in the gym. Great, yeah. Um, okay, I got two more of these. Who goes first in the draft, and to what team? If you if you could guess that. Well, that's. I mean, shoot. If I could guess who is first in the draft, I mean, I'd be. I'd be Making money. Kind of, Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say ultimately Chet Holmgren. Yeah. The the Gonzaga guy, the seven footer. I think teams always fall back on size, especially skill size. So I, I expect that eventually he'll be the top pick. Okay. Finally. The way too early the finals matchup prediction. Okay, you're getting me in trouble right now. So <laughs> hopefully this turns out. I'm going to go. I'll, I'll go with the rematch. I mean, I think yeah. Giannis, the best player in the world. The Suns look amazing oh right my, now. Oh, my goodness. They looked kinda, so good the other day. <laughs> you kind of have to expect it'd be Bucks suns again. But yeah. I'm, I'm, hopeful, I'm hopeful the Mavs can make a run. But I'm not, I'm not expecting it at this point. But I'm hopeful. And we'll see what happens with the Celts against the Bucks too. They're looking. Yeah, that's a good. They look, that's been a good series. That's been a great series. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. It, again, I, I so admire and appreciate your openness, your willingness to dive into this stuff that a lot of people find maybe uncomfortable or it's not stuff that they want to talk about. But you do it with such grace and such ease and such encouragement for everyone else to be thinking about and to choose to love on people. I think that's kind of the heart of, of your message is, is be intentional and, and choose relationships and choose love and make that daily choice to spend time with God, spend time with others, exactly what he called us to do in the great commandments. So you're a perfect example of that. So thank you for living that out. Well, thanks. I really appreciate that. And yeah, that's been by far the biggest um, consolation for me in this whole process is the ability to talk about that and to reach people who might otherwise never listen. And I think that's maybe something too, like, no matter what you're going through, like, what, I, what I'm going through is like, for me, my worst, I mean, anyone's worst nightmare, I guess, really. And it's like, no, and no matter how difficult a situation it is, no matter what you're going through, you can always use that to give glory to God and to grow with God. And that's something we're given as believers. It's like, no matter what, God will always be there. And anything that happens to you can be used to God's glory. And like, that is the consolation you can have in a situation like that. That that was awesome. Well, uh, John, uh, again, uh, thank you for your time and friends. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation. Now, I'm going to link a few things in the show notes for you guys. I'm going to put a link in to that essay that Jonathan wrote. And does my son know you? I'm going to link to his episode that he was on on the Good Faith podcast too. And you can hear him talk a lot more about small groups and everything on that on that podcast as well. So um, is there anything else you want to plug, Jonathan? Um... You know, I guess link to the caring bridge. Yeah. I could always use more prayers. So my wife is updating that. And as we're going through our situation, she'll do the one. And everyone says she's the best writer in the family. So <laughs> she's so, really yeah, good at it. I mean, <laughs> I'm a, I need all the prayers I can get. So read that caring bridge. And yeah. Friend, friends, we are definitely praying for Jonathan. So uh, thanks again. And uh, to those listening, we'll, we'll be back with you again next Tuesday. 
If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.